Hello, and welcome to episode 132 of Outnumbered the Podcast. Today, we're sharing everything we know about imaginary friends. This episode is brought to you by Silo and Sage. Do you want to raise kids who think critically about topics and ideas instead of following groupthink? Kids that don't need to be entertained 24-7? Kids that can problem solve and ask questions? Kids that don't just memorize answers for the test, but actually love discovering answers on their own? And kids that can play independently? (laughs) If this sounds like something you want, but you don't know where to begin, Raising Self-Directed Learners course from Silo and Sage is for you. Check it out. We love it, and we know you will too. Now, let's talk about imaginary friends. Hello, and welcome to Outnumbered the Podcast. I'm Audrey. And I'm Bonnie. We are experienced moms to a combined total of 19 children. In our weekly episodes, we explore relatable topics using our perspectives of humor and chaos. Tune in for advice and encouragement to gain more joy in your parenting journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are going to be talking to you about something a little bit different this week, but I think it's going to be a super fun episode. We're talking about imaginary friends, and we're going to um, split this episode into several parts, and all of them are really cool. So we're excited to talk to you about imaginary friends, personified objects, and touching a little bit on pretend play. Yes, we love pretend play so much, uh, especially as homeschoolers and especially as moms of big families, because that's what our kids have to do to entertain themselves. You know, like if, if you have more than, I don't know, one child or any desire to have any time away from your child, then it's very good if your child knows how to play pretend because then they can entertain themselves. Right. Which is very healthy. Yes. So I have a humor segment to start off with because I actually have three kids who have had imaginary friends. Um, and it's been it's been very fun. So my son, um, our fourth child, my son has had he had a whole troop of imaginary friends, and he had names for them all, and they all had personalities. They all interestingly had horses too. So he had not only his imaginary friends, but all their all his friends had horses, and they uh, it was this big, rich, very vivid, involved imaginary friendship. <laughs> but his. Um, his main friend, his main imaginary friend was called Mr. Lockett. So he, um, and then his, the, so there were three main ones. There was Mr. Lockett and there was Rhodey and there was Tootie. And so I don't know. Anyway. So one day we got in the van and we were going somewhere in a kind of hurry and we were getting all ready to go and we drive out of the driveway, you know, make sure we've got all our kids. And he just bus up wailing and we like slam on the brakes. What's the matter? What's the matter? Mommy, you didn't let Mr. Lockett in the van before you shut the door. We have to go back and get him. That is so cute. <laughs> and we're going to talk about what all that means in a couple minutes, but we have had our share of fun with imaginary friends around here too. Oh my goodness. That is so adorable. Um, I know that I had a couple imaginary friends myself, but we and our family have not had a lot of experience with it. So I'm excited to hear more about your experience, Audrey. Okay. So we're going to split this episode into basically five parts. What are imaginary friends? Common features that of children who invent imaginary friends, the roles that imaginary friends fill for the child, the benefits in childhood of having an imaginary friend, the benefits in adulthood from having had an imaginary friend as a child, and then our own personal experiences with imaginary friends. 
Okay, so first we're going to talk about what imaginary friends are. Obviously, they are friends that aren't really there, right? They are a psychological and a social phenomenon where a friendship between a child and something imaginary um, takes place in their brain rather than, you know, obviously person to person. It's not a physical reality. It's all made up. And then there is some crossover with personified objects. So what that means is everybody knows Calvin and Hobbes, right? Hobbes was Calvin's personified object. And there's a lot of crossover between what we're going to talk about in imaginary friendships and personified objects, because again, it's all in the mind and and working in that imagination. And then also um, a little bit we'll be touching about pretend play, uh, touching on pretend play, but that totally needs its own episode. So maybe we'll bring you one on that in the future. Great. And if you, I was going to say that if you and your children don't have experience with like the true imaginary friends that we all think of, right? Like Audrey's child leaving somebody behind (laughs) the personified objects. I think every kid has experience with because anytime they pick up a doll or, or a stuffed animal or something, they turn it into this little friend that they're playing with. So that's, I think a lot more common and that we see it more often. And sometimes it turns into kind of a longer term friendship where it's always the same personality, you know? Um, but very often it's just the short term pretend play. So by the age of seven, about 65% of children will have had an imaginary friend. And the prime time for having imaginary friendships is between ages three and 11. That's pretty interesting. So maybe some of our listeners, maybe 65% of you have had a kid who's had an imaginary friend also. Yeah, that's interesting that it's three to 11. I would have guessed the cutoff would have been more like seven or eight, but uh, they can go on for a long time. That's awesome. They're probably less publicly inclined to share about the imaginary friend when they turn 10 or 11, but that's pretty cute. I love it. Um, We found out in our research that imaginary friends are more likely to happen to girls and they're more likely um, to exist for first children or only children, which makes sense, right? They need a little friend to play with. Yeah. The... Kids who have imaginary friends are also more likely to be extroverts, which is fascinating because thinking about it um, at first, many people assume that it would be introverts who would Im- invent imaginary friends because they have more roadblocks to making friendships. But it's actually extroverts more likely to have imaginary friends. And I can just say as a girl who's an oldest child and an extrovert, <laughs> I know exactly why this is. I, I mean, I don't have a lot of memories of my own imaginary friends, but um, I can imagine myself at two or three years old sitting around going, this place is boring. There's nobody <laughs> to hang out with, just my boring parents and I, my younger siblings when I turned three. I need to liven this place up and have some friends, right? And so I made up these friends in my imagination. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> so um, a side note, most children that have imaginary friends know that they are not real, which I think is kind of... Um, a comforting thought to parents. Sometimes we can get a little bit paranoid, like, oh boy, they're, you know, they have some weird psychological disorder. No, they know it's imaginary. It's just part of how they play. Another thing we found in our research is that it's not only kids in America who have imaginary friends. They're pretty common in other cultures too. And we even found some research that said parents in India view imaginary friends as completely normal. And also they add another layer of dimension that it's a contact with a past life. Oh, or, with so someone, yeah, or with someone from a past life. Anyway, very interesting. Yeah, or someone who's passed on or something. Yeah. That's cool. Um, there is also a significant uptick in children making imaginary friends in the past year during COVID quarantine. Is that any big surprise? They can't go to school. <laughs> they can't hang out with their friends. So they have to make up their own, which is, you know, 
some benefit to COVID, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. And as we're going to get down to in the benefits section, it's been kind of like a healthy coping mechanism that a lot of kids have done. Right, right. Okay, now we're going to talk about the seven roles that imaginary friends kind of fill for kids. So not every kid has an imaginary friend filling the same role. So there's actually seven different roles that they have been use their imaginary friends to fill. Number one is a companion. Um, kids have a friend with a vivid, rich story, lots of interaction and history and details that accompany them everywhere they go. So they've got a companion. Uh, the second role that we read about is that of cheerleader. So an imaginary friend has an unconditional regard or concern for anything the child does, right? Obviously, I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it happens that people have imaginary enemies, <laughs> but I'm assuming most of the time they care about the person, the, the imaginary friend cares about the person who's imagining them, right? They want a friend who is kind and cares for them and cheer is their cheerleader. They get, the the child gets to be the hero of that story and the friend can go, yeah, let's do it. You know, think about Calvin and Hobbes, for example. Calvin's always up to no good and, and Hobbes is right there along with him. Yeah, let's do this bizarre, <laughs> you know, idea of getting in a cardboard box and sledding down a hill. That sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) The third role that an imaginary friend fills is guidance. So they ask the imaginary friend for advice on what to do when maybe they don't feel like they can ask a parent or a real person. And um, the imaginary friend isn't always human. There's lots of examples of the imaginary friend being like an octopus or some sort of made up creature. So they just ask Mm. this, this imaginary friend for guidance. Oh, that's really cool. I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, I kind of wish I had an imaginary friend I could ask for advice. <laughs> they wouldn't judge me for asking dumb yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then number four, the child gets to be in charge of that relationship, right? He gets to be like the parent or the boss of the imaginary friend, which is really powerful for a young child, especially one with a big personality, right? That thinks everything's always done to me. I need to be in charge, you know? Calvin's a great example. I keep coming back to that. He's so funny. (laughs) He likes to boss everybody around. Yeah. The fifth role that an imaginary friend fills is an alter ego. So their imaginary friend does things that they would never, never do. They're the sweet mannered, mild mild mannered child. And the imaginary friend is such a troublemaker. (laughs) We have a favorite book in our house. It's called Splodger. Link, Link to it in the show notes. But... Um, Splodger is a terror and the sweet, mild-mannered main character would never do what Splodger does, but Splodger makes all the messes and Splodger never cleans her room and Splodger has food fights. And <laughs> Alter ego is the fifth role of an imaginary friend. That's really cute. Yeah, that's really cute. Number six, an imaginary friend can be some sort of an emotional expression. So sometimes if the child has things that they are feeling that are maybe too big for them or they don't really know how to express, the imaginary friend can kind of do that for them. Yeah, it's a safe, safe way to express it. You know, Emily is feeling sad. I'm fine, but Emily's feeling really right. sad right now. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, and and how, how often do we see this in real life, even with teens or grownups? Like, so I have this friend and she's having trouble. I mean, we're not really having imaginary friends, but it's a safe way for us to ask questions or explore mm-hmm. possibilities potential scenarios without putting ourselves on the line without being really vulnerable. And I think, yeah, that's a great way to learn that as a child. Sure. We humans use it almost as a humor thing. Asking for a friend, right? Right, right, right. right. (laughs) Hypothetically speaking. (laughs) Uh, And the last role that imaginary friends fill is a fantasy and pretend play. An imaginary friend opens up the world to them. So my son that had three imaginary friends and they all had horses, he 
he couldn't have a horse and he really wanted a horse. So his friends had horses and that, or maybe the imaginary friends travel or they go places, do things that the, that the child themselves doesn't get to do. So that's, that's pretty cool role for an imaginary friend to play. Right, right. I love that. And it's cheaper than buying a horse. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't cost as much to feed an imaginary friend. Horse. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Sometimes you have to set a place for him, which is fun. But. Uh, so now that we've gone through the seven roles, uh, we wanted to say that having an imaginary friend, we have learned through the research, is that it is neither problematic nor necessarily a sign of extra intelligence. But there are quite a few benefits that we're going to go through, uh, both during childhood and into adulthood. All right, let's start with those childhood benefits. So um, an imaginary friend helps kids fulfill the three fundamental psychological needs laid out by the self-determination theory. We found this out through research. So there's competence. So when they're in the leadership role with this imaginary friend or even creating this imaginary friend, that builds, um, fulfills their confidence need. Relatedness, so the kids can relate to an imaginary friend or an imaginary friend can relate to them. And then autonomy, which is totally the sense of control. Like my son, he wasn't quite ready to leave home. So he controlled us into stopping the van by saying, hey, you forgot Mr. Lockett. You shut the door before Mr. Lockett can get in. <laughs> and he just a little bit of a way to control the situation, which kids totally need to build. Yeah, I, I, I find that fascinating. And all of those things um, come quite readily in regular friendships in childhood, right? We talked about a little bit about these in our episode on kids making friends. Um, but in the absence of the ability to do so, or they're too young, right? Two or three, they're not really making friends outside of the home. Then then they can start doing this with someone in their imagination. I think that's great. Uh, imaginary friends are also a symptom of developing social intelligence. So they are shown, these children are shown to be more socially competent because they have more social experience, right? Even though it's imaginary. An imaginary friend can um, let kids simulate social situations with no consequences. So instead of putting themselves out there and potentially being rejected by a friend, they can do fun or unique or wild things with their imaginary friend. Um, they can also be more attuned to and concerned about the details of their interactions with others. So um, when they have a little bit of quiet time to just sit and think about what this imaginary person is thinking back, right? They just, they process all this in their brain. It's really high level stuff and really fascinating to watch. And, and once again, the interaction is totally in their brain. So the risk taking is much lower than with a real human. Yeah, it's so neat to read the studies on this. There was um, one study that we're pulling a lot of this from, and we'll link to some resources, some articles in the show notes, but they took adults and interviewed them and found out who had imaginary friends. And they just started dissecting everything about them and what they were like as kids and what they were like as adults and personality types and the big five and all these things that they now can say these things about kids who have imaginary friends, both what they're more like in what they're more apt to be like in childhood and in adulthood. So anyway, it's pretty cool research. So kids with imaginary friends have a greater awareness of what's going on around them. I mean, I've had kids that just tune everything out, but it's like kids with an imaginary friend are just kind of paying attention to what's going on so they can pick it up and use that imaginary friend to go through a situation like that and process it with, you know, then their imaginary friend does, does that or has that happen to them. And it also provides opportunities for life lessons safely, safely, like you were saying. So for example, when kids first have this thought about, 
um, somebody in their life dying. I remember one of our kids had their imaginary friend's grandpa died and they were kind of experimenting with this idea of losing somebody, but it was, they were able to do it vicariously through their imaginary friend losing somebody and just kind of exploring some of these life lessons from sort of a safer perspective. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, What's interesting is that, you know, going back to what you were saying, that they really learn that sense of autonomy when playing with imaginary friends, is that they are almost like the director of a play, right? Or Or even the writer of a play. They're looking around at life and they're like, oh, that looks fun to experience. Oh, that looks interesting. I'm going to pull all these aspects of life, like you're saying, they're, they're more aware of what's going on around them. And I'm going to insert them here in this really fun play that I'm creating. And I'm a character and these imaginary characters are part of it too. And we are just going to develop this awesome, cool play. And it's going to involve horses and and maybe there's going to be some some grief and maybe there's going to be these things that I'm going to just play with and, and fiddle with them and see how they feel. And it's, it's really interesting to, to watch it all unfold. Um, and then when these kids with imaginary friends do end up having real life friends, they tend to be more cooperative and sociable in their play because they have more experience. Yeah, they have found that it spurs the development of an inner dialogue that children can use to talk themselves through challenging tasks, which does, which results in building problem-solving um, ability and development. So it's just fascinating that, like you say, they're they're watching things happen and they're taking it and they're applying it to their own little dialogue, their little play they have going on, and boop out out pops these problem-solving abilities on the other yeah. side. It's fascinating. So children with imaginary friends can easily take another person's perspective, right? Because um, those imaginary friends, because there's so little risk to having them around, they tend to be really close, really tight-knit, right? They're sharing experiences, so to speak. Um, so they can e- easily switch perspectives with their imaginary friend. They can have a better ability to understand others' minds and, and you know, be in their shoes kind of thing. Um, and this uh, is attributed to this fantasy and this role-playing um, that they engage in. So uh, that includes things like creating a dialogue, creating an entire personality. What's interesting is that these imaginary friends are often very different from the person creating them. Like, that is amazing that, that little brains can do that, right? They're creating a story, like I said, like this whole, you know, movie or play going on, a setting, a world, things that they like and dislike, um, their own relatives, etc. And they just, they just become so much better at empathizing and seeing things from another perspective. Yeah, that reminds me of the little series of comic strips with Calvin and Hobbes where Calvin and Hobbes where Hobbes got kidnapped by Susie, the girl down the road that <laughs> Calvin doesn't like, and Hobbes fell in love with Susie and he was loving her smooches and having a tea party with her and and Calvin was just like, "You traitor, how dare you?" But you, then you it's almost hard to remember that this is actually happening in Calvin's world. This is his thing that he's exploring he's maybe. around a little bit with this Susie as maybe not a mortal enemy. Yeah, that's really cute. Really cute. Uh, Yeah. So they learn and develop more complex narratives. Like they develop language skills. They become better storytellers and they develop creative writing ability. No, actually creative writing ability um, as children, which is it like it's not only in their mind anymore. Now it's affecting like their schoolwork and their studies and all that. Yeah. I, I do wonder how many professional creative writers had imaginary friends, right? Like not just <laughs> books, but like movie scripts and that sort of thing. If they just have this really rich imagination, it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
And then obviously, as we've been saying, this, these imaginary friends fulfill a need for friendship, whether there's not one around or there's not a friend that they really feel comfortable with, or there are friends around, but they want to try some things out on a very, um, you know, low risk basis, then those imaginary friends come in. So they have found that um, children with imaginary friends are more creative during childhood. Um, they're more willing to openly exit the rules of reality and engage in a t- pretend world. This is really true for kids whose imaginary friends aren't people. They're other sort of creatures. But just you think of the level of creativity required to even event, invent an imaginary friend or personify um, you know, a, a toy, a stuffed animal or something, and then take it with you and have it do all these adventures. It's just incredible the amount of creativity required to do that. Right, right. And it's interesting when you say that I'm reminded of the psychological phenomenon, um, suspension of disbelief, right? This is what we all go through when we read a book, when we watch a movie. Um, And it's higher level thinking, right? We have to say, yes, I know aliens are not really invading the earth. And it's probably very unlikely that's going to happen. But I can still sit and enjoy this movie because it's I'm suspending my disbelief, right? And that's what these kids are doing on purpose in order to better enjoy their life. And that's just so cool. Um, they, these kids also tend to be less fearful, have less stress, anxiety, and depression because they've got this, this buddy. And they have really high cognitive flexibility. (laughs) Some of my kids, I wish I could get them to invent a imaginary friend so that they could be a little bit more flexible cognitively. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's time for you to have an imaginary friend. You're stressing me out. (laughs) Funny. Okay. So now we're going to move into a few of the benefits as an adult. So um, if your kid has an imaginary friend that's kind of driving you crazy or you're worried, look to these as uh, some hope for how how awesome they're going to be as they grow up, right? Um, They grow up to be more creative. Like we mentioned, not a big surprise, right? Having an imaginary friend can be an indicator of creative giftedness. So they have gifts of just being able to see things differently, right? The research has stated that studies of gifted adults reveal strong links between child world play and mature creative accomplishment in both sciences and social sciences, which is interesting, not just the soft sciences, but the hard stuff too. Their brain just works a little bit differently. That childhood protection they got with an imaginary friend from stress and anxiety and depression, it results in emotionally healthy adults. So they don't have as many emotional health issues as an adult. That is fascinating. That's interesting. You know, we've talked about this before, how important it is for kids to take appropriate risks in childhood. Um, And these are kids who are creating this for themselves, right? And that all of that makes them emotionally resilient. It's, that's fascinating. I keep saying that, but it really is. You gotta, just gotta go read the research. Pretty cool. Um, They also tend to be less neurotic as adults. Well, I guess I didn't have enough imaginary friends then. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a little bit easier to go with the flow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. So that well-developed inner dialogue that they use to talk themselves through challenging tasks when they were a child, that extends into great problem-solving ability as an adult. You know, it's coming to mind right now. I didn't think of this when preparing for this episode, but my husband apparently had an imaginary friend that he would tell stories about him. And I think it was called Johnny Hagel, him and Johnny Hagel. And they did this and they went bear hunting and they did all that sort of thing. So I think of like what thinking about this right now, my husband is one of the best problem solvers I know. Like, I, I'm just like, I'm kind of pausing and going off script here because it's it's fascinating to me to think that this might have come from his play as a child with him and, and his buddy, Johnny Hagel, whoever that was. 
That's cute. (laughs) So uh, the creation of their own imaginary companion is a really important coping device in childhood. And like we mentioned, it it can prevent larger psychological issues from developing. Again, like you said, especially in the tricky phases, like when there's grief coming or um, a move or some, their life is somehow an upheaval, a new sibling. This can be a really... um, stabilizing part of their life that they always come back to and that they completely control. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes in some of the research I was reading, there were examples of what children were having their imaginary friends do. So this one kid's mom had had a, had had a baby and he was going through that, that, time for him. And pretty soon his imaginary friend's mom had a baby. So then his imaginary friend was dealing with the same thing and he could vicariously deal with some of those things by having his imaginary friend try out things that he would never do, you know, like hitting the baby. And it was like, oh man, I can't believe my imaginary friend did that. But you know, it came out of his mind that it was there. (laughs) Okay. Now we're going to talk a little bit about our personal experience, um, which of our kids have had imaginary friends or Bonnie's own personal experience. (laughs) I was going to say that I don't remember hardly anything about my imaginary friends, just what my mom has, has reminded me or told me, but, uh, they were two very sophisticated cosmopolitan women who worked in the budding metropolis of Salt Lake city, because that was the nearest big city to where I lived in Utah. And their names were Shredda and Kath. I don't know where that came from, but anyway, <laughs> hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> so three of our kids so far have had imaginary friends, two of our girls, and one was the first child. Um, she had an imaginary friend and the imaginary friend did everything with her. And as I don't know, maybe it was as she got older or as she had siblings, her imaginary friend kind of went away. Um, and then our fourth child had an imaginary friend. He was a boy and I was telling you about him, his three imaginary friends and their horses. And then um, our fifth child had an imaginary friend. And it was kind of funny. We would always joke, you know, with her, you have four siblings. You need an imaginary friend too. Her imaginary friend was named Angelina and Angelina did everything <laughs> with her. It was really fun. My kids, imaginary friends all had names, super vivid details. They would even tell me in the morning about dreams that they'd had with their imaginary friend doing things in their dreams. So it was very, very real, very special. But like you said, they they knew their imaginary friends weren't real. It was just this, this dialogue, this play that they had going on. My current um, five youngest kids all have a herd of horses. And they, um, this is kind of more on the pretend play side, but they feed their horses, they do their horses, their horses chores. They go everywhere they go. They don't walk. They gallop on their horses and they, and you can hear them coming along behind you. Giddy up silver, you know, whatever the horse name is. Giddy up, giddy up. No, come on, slow down. Oh, don't trot like that. That hurts. And you know, everywhere they go, they don't walk. They ride their horses. There. <laughs> so that's my current five youngest kids and their horses. We, they, uh, they gallop around everywhere. So that's some of our experience with, imaginary friends around here. And uh, I don't know, maybe my kids' lives lives are so boring, they have to invent these <laughs> super <laughs> creative lives outside of them. But I, I'm, it's really neat to see. And, and I just loved doing the research for this episode and finding out all the, like, maybe they're not as weird as I thought they were. <laughs> yeah, totally. It helps a little bit to know, oh, see, this happens to all kinds of kids. And there's good benefits to it as well. Um, so like I mentioned, I, I personally had uh, imaginary friends growing up. Um, and to my knowledge, none of our children have, which is kind of bizarre considering we have this many, but 
you know, like we were mentioning, big family, maybe they don't need any more <laughs> social interaction. Has, but I, <laughs> have any of them had a special personified object that like went um, everywhere they, and did they stuff? They do, but not like really, really long term. It will usually just last a couple of weeks. It will be this little elephant they're talking to all the time, you know. Um, mm. But that's always fun. And, you know, dolls are one of my favorite things to watch my kids play with because there's this going on all the time. And sometimes it lasts, sometimes the personality lasts for a little while and sometimes it, it's different every day. Um, but just the things that they make up, especially my four-year-old, that's one of the most magical ages to watch pretend play is so fun to just, I like to sit around the corner where she can't see me and just listen to what she's doing. And I'm going, wow, that's so fascinating what you're coming up with. Uh, it's just such a fun peek into their cute little imaginations. So we're linking in the show notes, those articles and, um, we hope you have enjoyed this episode and it was as fun for you as it was for us. We just thought it would be really fun to kind of do a deep dive on this little thing of imaginary friends. And if your child is creative and having an imaginary friend, just embrace it. It's It can be annoying at times. We get that too. Yes, totally. When you have to back up the car so that Mr. Lockett can get <laughs> Uh, but just think about all the benefits that they can take with them through their whole life with their imaginary friend. Thanks for listening, friends. Click the link in the show notes to subscribe to our email and never miss another episode. Show us some love by leaving a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with a friend. Thanks for all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, that childhood protection that they had with an imaginary friend from stress and anxiety and depression, it results in more in a most. <laughs> oh, good. I'm not the only one that can't talk today. <laughs>